Welcome back. You're now doing less with John and Jeff. We are the Bad News Bears, and this is the biggest drop in the stock market that we've seen in a long time. <laughs> so you know we're going to be talking about it. The market is down around a little over 10% this past week, and all sorts of blame is being thrown. Some people think it's the coronavirus. I don't know. What do you think it is, John? Um, I think it was cause I, I did a round of, uh, cardio this morning on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the treadmill. So, uh, I think the markets didn't like that very much. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't like that much either. Don't do cardio, <laughs> just lift. You're losing all your gains. Um, yeah. If you haven't looked at your 401k statement, let me just say, don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do yourself a favor and never do open a favor, it. Yeah. just let it sit there keep your happiness um <laughs> unless you've been listening to do less podcast and you become extremely bearish on the s&p 500 and you've yeah. divested from any exposure to overpriced stocks in the u.s then good for you you probably less yeah you probably lost less money if you're like me you're going to feel like a bit of an asshole during these times because these are the times when I am up. And so I walk around happy when the market's <laughs> down. I'm like, ooh, feels good this week. And everyone else is pissed and they hate me even more because I'm just running around having a good time and everyone else is angry. <laughs> so if you, all the anger that you have towards that stems from your losses in your 401k, just channel that towards jeff um that's right you can take it because it's my, it's my fault you lost money <laughs> <laughs> you can make a uh what is what are the dolls called that you make effigy a uh, voodoo doll oh effigy vo- yeah <laughs> both know. of them yeah make a voodoo doll of jeff and have him please let your hatred flow towards <laughs> me have him holding a little cell phone and turn it red that will make your 401k <laughs> <laughs> go up. That's true. That's how that works. <laughs> so what are the causes, though, is what you asked me. Coronavirus is the, is the big one that is attributed to this stock market sell-off. There's going to be a massive slowdown in growth, s- slowdown in earnings uh, for all companies worldwide, basically. Because everyone's not going to work, everyone's staying home, avoiding contact with other humans. The big question, though, I have is, is coronavirus good for Corona Seltzer or bad for Corona Seltzer? That is a good question. Um, (laughs) And I was just viewing a Corona Seltzer ad on my Twitter feed, which I believe is attributed to my phone is listening to me. And uh, it, it hears me saying Corona, it says coronavirus, Corona, but all it hears is Corona, Corona, Corona. And then it's like, this guy must be interested in Corona. So he's going to be uh, <laughs> interested in he's this be ad. pleasantly surprised by this ad. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the coronavirus is definitely a trigger. It might be the pin, so to speak, that bursts a stock market bubble. We've been talking about a stock market bubble since before this podcast started ever you know (laughs) we were very clear that we believe that stocks are overpriced um because uh yeah just earnings have not shown at all in the past call it 10 years (laughs) really the (laughs) last two or three years earnings have not kept pace with the stock market growth so i think that Something like the coronavirus would definitely prick that valuation bubble where prices mm-hmm. are so high. And so I can definitely say with confidence that the stock market is lower right now. We're recording this Thursday uh, after the market closed on February 27th. Um, I can confidently say the market is lower than it would otherwise have been without the coronavirus. But I will say also that I don't think it's the only reason. I think that there's other factors like uh, a Bernie Sanders uh, election 
of Bernie Sanders' presidency possibility has been steadily increasing over the past couple uh, Democratic debates and Democratic primaries. And I think a de- I think a Bernie Sanders presidency will be absolutely abhorrent to stock prices. <laughs> so if you're going to start pricing those in, you're going to have to start doing it sooner than later because his his odds of winning the presidency is what it's like. Well, it's, he's like 67 percent chance of winning mm-hmm. the Democratic nomination, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's almost certainly going to win the nomination. I don't know who's going to take it from him. Mm-hmm. The Democratic um, National Convention. <laughs> yeah, they can try. You know, I think it's low probability he wins the general election. But I thought the same thing about Trump, and Trump won anyway. So it's not impossible. Especially if this coronavirus leads to a recession in the U.S., then even though obviously that is not Trump's fault, people still blame shit like mm-hmm. that on the president yeah. anyway. So, Well, who can blame them like, when your president is literally telling you every day that the stock market is up? <laughs> right. Like, this is because of me. If he keeps me. taking credit for all the gains, then he's going to get all yeah, the blame exactly. too. So it's just like he brought it upon himself. Right. But people get blamed. Like, I don't know. The, the president gets way too much credit or blame for either the economy or the stock market. Like they, they have some effect on it, but not like just like they don't own it. Right. Like it doesn't belong to them. Yeah, definitely. What I would say to what you mentioned. Yeah, definitely that the, if the stock market goes down, then Bernie Sanders is more likely to become elected in this, in the, uh, the presidential race um mm-hmm. and if this and as as i was saying if bernie sanders chance of becoming nominated chance of becoming elected re- is going higher which is causing the stock market to go down and the stock so market's like a self-fulfilling going, prophecy exactly the stock market going <laughs> down causes him a like a, a higher chance of being elected it's like yeah it's like a uh, positive feedback loop he's just gonna gain speed and gain more momentum yeah and if you're wondering why bernie sanders election would be so bad for the stock market it's because obviously he needs congress to do some things but the number of national powers or powers for national emergency that the president has through uh, executive orders has grown tremendously since I think mm-hmm. Bill Clinton is probably when it started. Maybe George Bush. I'm not sure. But like it, around that era, like the 2000s era, um, going into Obama, there's just been a steady trend upward in the number of executive orders used to like get things done uh, rather than going through Congress. And so like if Bernie Sanders can like somehow get like executive orders through for like rent control or you know just like things that are just uneconomic you know it, it it could be pretty disastrous for a lot of firms and so you know there's no telling what he will actually get done but like if he got everything he wanted to get done like it would I'm not being hyperbolic when I say if he had his way, it would destroy our economy. <laughs> That's not being hyperbolic. Right. That's being like scientific, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you could just look at the Green New Deal. There's just, I mean, he didn't he didn't write that, but I think he supports yeah. it. But it's not even it's not even a bill. It's just a list of desires. It's a list of hopes written on a piece of paper. It's like there's no plan right. to do I, any of. I'm that. just, I'm just referring to what you were saying the executive order you could you could just like one day say oh uh, executive order all fossil fuels must stop being burned and it's just like okay well right right and that would yeah literally collapse industry that depend on that economy and it's not even like that industry it has a ripple effect right if we can't get fossil fuels we can't mm-hmm. power our homes we can't transport our food we can't drive our cars it's like you literally everything you could attribute to your standard of living 
will not be there or it will be insanely expensive to the point where you have to pick and choose. Like you'll have to choose between a hot shower and like a warm <laughs> meal. <laughs> it's like when yeah. the, when's the last time anyone had to do that? You know, this is because <laughs> cheap fossil fuels exist. And I know people don't like them because they cause global warming. I understand that's bad. But everything we like about our lives, we owe mm -hmm. to cheap fossil fuels. Right. That is how we support them. So it's like until we're ready to sacrifice these things, you know, they're here to stay. And that's just the reality. Yeah, even like uh, even electric, like even electric powered cars, electric powered, you know, that's the trend. That's Mm -hmm. They're powered by yeah. They're powered yeah, like by they're fossil charged fuels. from an outlet, which gets power off the grid, which was generated by a coal power plant in a lot of, a lot of cases. Yeah, we're still like using twenty percent of our yeah. energy comes from coal. So even if all of our cars go to electric, guess where that electricity is coming from? <laughs> <Right>. Coal. <laughs> so it doesn't do anything if the car is electric. You have to change where the the where the energy right. comes from. Yeah, this is this may or may not be along that line, but it's a it's an interesting point that I read recently, and it was just and it was saying if you drive an electric car, a new electric car, if you buy a new electric car, you are actually worse for the environment, worse for the CO two emissions than if you were to to repurpose an old Hummer. <laughs> uh, not even repurpose, just like re re refurbish a new, an old Hummer. If you were to get that, right? Because right. if you get that, if you, could get, if you could get an old Hummer driving and drive that around, you're actually contributing less fossil fuel, less emissions than uh, a new electric vehicle. So, right? Because here's what a lot of people don't think about: not only does the car burn fossil fuels while it while it goes while it drives when you build it you burn a bunch of fossil fuels and it's like this is the fossil fuels no one ever thinks about is like what are the fossil fuels it took to get that thing and then you put and it so on and then car, you build it and you put it on a cargo ship or you put it on like a, <laughs> yeah. a cross-country truck that's gonna it's like you it gotta from... you gotta mine the metals okay that equipment takes fossil fuels they all the equipment that mines the metals runs on fossil fuels. The equivalent that makes the polymers run that those factories burn fossil fuels. Uh, so like extracting all the resources, combining them, you know, paying the salaries of all the people who engineer it and make sure the, the plants go, they drive their cars to work. <laughs> they yeah. eat food, which gets put on cars and on trucks driven by fossil fuels. Every step of the way, is powered by fossil fuels. They eat cows, like, which fart and <laughs> contribute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like you can't, you cannot escape these things. They're, they're everywhere. It's like this. It, they're how we achieve, and and it's obvious, right? So like before coal was discovered, pre-industrial revolution, there were literally thousands of years of human history where zero progress was made. Okay, this is not a coincidence. Like we didn't just happen to pull ourselves out of poverty the same time coal was discovered could be used to power like in uh, like um, uh, factories. Like yeah, that that wasn't a coincidence. They happened together for a reason. Right. The the things we ac can accomplish depend on the level of energy we can tap into, and so essentially, what fossil fuels really are is a like stored solar energy right so the sun uh emits light from fusion reactions in its core and then that light reaches the earth and then plants turn that into uh food right they they convert carbon dioxide um and light into like mass for the plant right and then if that plant dies and gets buried underground, it decomposes into hydrocarbons, otherwise known as coal, oil, natural gas. So this is all the solar energy from the, it's like think of fossil fuels as like 
solar panels <laughs> that were storing the energy over thousands, millions of years, actually. Millions of years mm. of solar energy has been stored in the ground in the form of oil and coal. And now we're taking advantage of that. We're burning it and getting that energy back out. And so it's like, it's hard to compete with that. Yeah, you can make a solar panel, but the, the level of coverage of solar panels we can have compared to the number of trees and grass and stuff over millions of years, like you start to see how one is much more abundant than the other. Like it's just really not on the same level. Yeah, the one you have to <clears throat> you have to mobilize and you have to set it up and build it and equip it on your house or on whatever you're trying mm-hmm. to. The other one you just light a match and you got <laughs> you got the, <laughs> you release the energy. Like you, just, you just pull it out of the ground and you just burn it. Yeah, like it's a little more complicated than that, but not not really. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, what I, so what I was so bringing that up was relevant to what we were saying because if there were if there was some sweeping legislation that was just like you know no more of this no more of this (laughs) only that right it's like well how much did you take into account right this versus that and how much of that there was incorporated into this (laughs) that makes sense like you're it's just kind of a, a blind um it's just like we haven't planned for it. It represents a massive amount of uncertainty. Yeah, it'll send us back into, like you said, the thousand years of no growth. Yeah, Which, I mean, I, again, I'm not being hyperbolic. If we banned fossil fuels, it wouldn't be as bad as the Middle Ages because we still have things like nuclear and solar and other things. So, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like if you averaged the Industrial Revolution era with the middle ages that's that's about what our standard of living would look like is if you took the halfway <laughs> point between those two so it's like you know this do you is have not, a, do you actually you can't just you have a reference what? of what the s p 500 was between those two <laughs> <laughs> i think it might I don't know, be but it was a lot lower <laughs> i think it might be uh 10 10 in five days uh decline a couple times over a couple more of those <laughs> A couple more. Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, he's never going to accomplish anything like that because people just won't stand for it. When, once people start to feel their standard of living fall, like they're not going to go along with it anymore. It's like things, it's like ideas are okay until you feel the cost of them, right? It's like, you know, so, an idea can be popular until it's until you actually notice what it costs. Yeah, but that's the... That's the whole issue with lending power to someone with the with the hope that in the future, if I don't like it, I can just, oh, I'll change my mind. I don't like it. But if you lend that power, sometimes I mean, yeah. it's not salvageable. Sometimes they will be able to seize what they were. I, I think you got to have like a lot of support to keep like a kind of dictator type thing going. Like you have to have like loyalty i think and he actually i mean i guess he does have like a core a a very decent core following that's very loyal to him but i don't know i don't i yeah i mean i think he would cause a lot of damage um honestly i don't see any benefits to anything he maybe he would do uh less foreign intervention i could i could get on board with that but I think he would just cause a lot of damage for no reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be in his point to reduce wealth inequality, and I think he would actually succeed at that. <laughs> right. But, like, that's not that's not a goal worth pursuing. That's what people got to realize is that inequality is irrelevant, right? It's what matters is, you know, what is the standard of living? Yeah of most people and is it going up is it increasing are you able to increase your standard of living if you want to so if the that's what matters so if the richest person maintains one percent of their wealth and the poorest person maintains 50 mm-hmm. percent of their wealth that inequality mm-hmm. went down a lot but everybody's <laughs> so much worse right 
And so it's like, or another way you can look at it is like, if all the billionaire, like, let's say he just took the money from all the richest people. You could probably run the government for like a year. Not even. Yeah. And then like, you know, now there's no more rich people. Not no more, but like there's fewer. So the wealth inequality has gone down significantly. But, you know, two years later, that redistribution is going to have no effect. Like yeah. it's it, it's a one-time deal. Yeah, I don't even think you because, could run it for a year if, if I think about it. I think the, I think we've actually talked about this on a previous episode, but I think yeah. if you summed all of the net wealth, which is not even, if you want to talk about purchasing power, it's not even like mm-hmm. cash on hand for these people. It's like you nationalize their own, the, their ownership of all their assets, which is companies, right. which is resources. If you nationalize that, if you absorb that into the government, you might absorb probably over a trillion but not definitely not over like two trillion and the government spends four trillion a year so it's like you would be able to run it for like six months right (laughs) and uh we talk a lot about a lot like big numbers and so one thing i've never said on this podcast before but i often do to help me visualize these numbers because i think it makes it easier is if you were to take um like a million for example and just say Look at that in terms of seconds, mm-hmm. right? So a million seconds is 12 days, roughly, okay? So you can think about a million as 12 so days if you were to count in terms one, of sec- One number per right. second. One, two, right. three. Two. You would get, it would take 12 days to get to a million, right? So okay. pretty big now, number. Yeah, so pretty big. Now to get to a billion... Drumroll, it would take 32 years. <laughs> okay, so that's that's how big of a difference there is between a million and a billion. Is It takes 12 days to count a million seconds versus 32 years to count a billion seconds. Okay, now a trillion, that's 3,200 years. <laughs> or sorry, no, 32,000 years. 32,000 years. 32,000 years, okay? So that this that should hopefully give some scope into what we're talking about. So when, like that's, at that point, you know, that you're starting to push the bounds of what we can comprehend, right? Nope, no one can understand 32,000 years. Like that's, yeah. you know. Like even that's like, a number I, that you know, can't even comprehend. Right, so it's like it's already <laughs> getting too big, but Fortunately, trillion is sort of the, the, the biggest realm we deal in with numbers and economics. But like my point being is when Bernie Sanders throws out a number like his plan would increase the budget by 30 trillion dollars. OK, that's like someone saying to you, like, you know, I'm going to put you in prison for <laughs> 90,000 years or 900,000 years, you know, like it's just like, this is an outrageously large number and we do not have the money for it. It's okay. We're actually, we don't even have the money for what we currently do. We're, we're on a steady path to bankruptcy. (laughs) Any propositions to increase our spending is incredibly irresponsible. And anyone who tells you we can afford it is lying to you. It's just not true. And, and people say, oh, we can tax, tax the rich more. Like we said, there's not enough money in that, in yeah. that group of people. Not even the right order, order of magnitude. When you yeah, it that it's way. not even close. You know, if you took all their money and all their wealth and all their income and made them slaves to the government, even if you did all that, you could not fund his plans. Yeah. So it's just not feasible. It's just not. So it's like... You know, if that's if that's what he aspires to achieve, you know, even if he gets ten percent of that, it's still gonna be a it's still gonna be a bad yeah. thing. <laughs> so thus the stock market going down. Yeah, so thus I make money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna vote for Bernie Sanders actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't I don't do that. I don't actually root for the market to go down, I know it makes me money and there's some cognitive distance happening there when it's like, ooh, I make money. 
but it's I I don't want to be short. I want to be rooting for the economy, but I, I or for the stock market, but I can't because it's just, in my opinion, so overpriced. Like it's just I can't I can't in good conscience buy into something that's so overvalued. So it's like I don't know. I'm not like rooting for it. It's just like I'm not gonna go down with it either. <laughs> yeah. Similarly, my positions are very much not correlated with the increase of what a lot of people benefit from. So it's like right. specifically a lot of people, when I say a lot of people, I mean people in the U.S. So it's like, oh, you're just betting against the U.S. You know, you're investing in foreign currencies or you're investing in gold. You know, that's you're you're betting against your family, your friends, your... <laughs> It's just like, <laughs> it's like, no, definitely not. I, you know, I, I, the way I put it a lot of times when I get that argument, it's like, no, certainly not. In fact, I hope to be wrong. Cause if I'm wrong, that means then I have a stable job. The economy is doing right. well. You know, I can continue to engage. <laughs> prices, are yeah, prices are low. I can continue to engage with, uh, all the, all the things that I like to engage with, you know, in my, local economy um but right like i think of it like insurance yeah insurance you know, sure. like like if the economy is good great you know I'm, i'll be missing out on some gains but like i'm not really worried overall because the economy is good mm-hmm. uh whereas if the economy is bad you know there's much higher chance of being unemployed i i would much rather be earning income then than when the market's going up, right. you know. I want to talk about the short volatility trade. <laughs> it's I, we could we could speak to like the base level of what like what's well, just I would say at a very basic level, volatility has been tremendously low the past ten years, and so a lot of people have been so. I listened to a podcast by uh, this guy, Christopher Cole, if you want to check him out. And um, he talked about the reason volatility like this is so, so dangerous for so many people. Because if you're just, you know, if you just bought the S&P, right, the index, just went long stock market. Does that, that's not really... That's not, that's not a dangerous thing to do. Like sometimes it goes down a lot and you, and, you know, you'll lose some money, but like overall it's, it's a pretty harmless choice. You know, it's, it's not that dangerous. However, what a lot of people have done is they pension funds, for example, they'll need certain returns to remain funded, right? So they'll, they'll build their pension fund with the expectation of getting like 7% return in order. And then that will ensure that they can meet all their liabilities paying out to everyone in the end. Right. Okay. So now if you structure your pension fund around this 7% yield and you actually become underfunded without it, well, that forces you to chase yields. And that's where the problem occurs. The way people have been chasing yields is by selling and when you and so let me um, say, so when you say chase yield, that means you're stepping into markets that are riskier for that marginal yield, right? That risk-free kind of right. or like that low-risk investment into like the stock market, which is generally guaranteed to go up. You can assume like seven percent. If you miss that, if you miss that consistently, you have to you have to account for that. And the only way to do that is to step into something more risky then. Right. So they're, they're taking more risks and the way they're doing this is using leverage or debt. And so what they're doing is they're selling, uh, put options. And what put options are is essentially, they're essentially a bet that the market will go down, or you can think of them as insurance against the market going down. So essentially what they're doing is they're, they're selling insurance against the downturn in the economy. So they're relying on stability in the market to increase their yield, 
to keep their pension fund going. But now, you know, think if you think about it in terms of insurance, if you were selling fire insurance in Australia this year, <laughs> you, last year, you're going to have a bad time, right? So this is, this is the problem is until that fire happened, you're probably doing great. You're probably making a lot of money. But when it did happen, you get boned. And so once the market collapse a little bit and you don't have the money to, you know, pay your interest on your, your loans that you took out to, you know, gamble with, then you have to start selling equity to pay, to make, you know, your call, which just drives it further down. It's like, and it becomes a, a spiral. Yeah. I just read this. I'm trying to think of where, cause I want to credit who I read it from. I'll look it up and post it in the, the show notes. But uh, it's like mm. you, you go to someone's house and they have a tub of uh, extremely flammable uh, byproduct from like a <laughs> nuclear power plant or whatever. It's extremely toxic, extremely yeah. volatile like tub in their bedroom. And you walk in there and you say, <laughs> what are you doing with that in here? They And they say... <laughs> Oh, it's, you know, the, the nuclear power plant down the road, they pay me a lot of money per year to keep this in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, don't you know that's dangerous? Like, just a spark could set that off and set this whole town on fire. And you say, well, yeah. it hasn't in the five years that I've, I've held it in this bedroom. So <laughs> it's actually a good deal. And without it, I wouldn't be able to pay for this mortgage. <laughs> that's just like the... Yeah, dude, that's a great example. It's just a depiction of... These so like I said, these institutions have to step into the market for greater risk to to meet their yield obligations, and if they're able to do that with no re, with no recourse, with no negative consequences, it may start to seem like it there aren't any consequences. It may seem like right what they're doing is actually profitable because they're smart. Or I don't know. I don't want to attribute any kind of it's really not it's really not a shortcoming on people I don't think. It's just human nature I think is more to blame. It's just like you're doing something that yields a good return. We're not really geared to think of the long term when we're making such a profit in the short term. So these funds, these institutions are able to to do something that's making them money and they're just willing to overlook the long term risk. They're, they're willing to off uh to write off the long-term risk in in order to keep what what's going right. for them. Keep I, going. I think it's just greed, you know. Like, and I, I don't I don't think of greed as a pure negative. So don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks like, oh, greed. It's the source of all our problems. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I think greed leads people to like a lot of people became doctors for greedy reasons because it it used to pay a lot. It's actually not it's not that great of a job anymore, but. A long time ago, a lot of people became doctors because they were greedy. But am I going to be upset about that? No, right. it's a great thing that they be, did become doctors. But sometimes greed does lead us astray. Like, I think it's the it's the chasing that seven percent was the greedy thing. Like, you know, they basically const- they constructed an entire portfolio hinging on this growth assumption, and that was the incredibly greedy thing to do is to just just factor in 7% growth or whatever it may be. That's a common one. But just just to make that the the hinge, mm-hmm. or that's not the right word, but like the cornerstone of your entire portfolio where it basically has to stockpile risk yeah. on it if it can't achieve that is like, that's that was a greedy the thing full, to do. The fulcrum on which you lever. Right. Fulcrum yeah. is a good point. Good way um, to phrase it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think... I think we could definitely say everybody should do more to think about should do more. Do <laughs> no. more. Yo, get off. Get yeah. off this show right now. I want to try to rephrase that. No, but I think I mean we can never say <laughs> to people don't think about your wider influence, your wider reach cuz that's a like a a good society is one where everyone trusts each other and thinks about each other, you know, in a way that Mhm in a way that you're not screwing each other. Like if you're just like out to screw someone else, society is all always worse off if everyone's trying to screw someone else. 
Um, but that's not to say right. that when people act in their own interest, they're necessarily trying to screw other people. There can just be, there can right. just be floating risks that people aren't accounting for that when they're thinking in their self-interest, they're not actually understanding that there's a, uh, a larger societal risk. And I actually was reading right. this, this statistic today, which made me think of this exact point. And it was that there's like 200 CEOs of like major companies in the last like quarter that have exited their position that have left their company. Really? And I was thinking like, it could be, you know, there could be just nothing there. There could be, it could be no reason for that. It could just be a coincidence, but mm -hmm. it could also be like these CEOs know their company. They know how profitable they are. They know. Right. And they just don't believe in it. Uh, they don't believe. Or were you going somewhere else? Well, that? well, yeah. So I was just going, they know their company and they know the valuation of their company. And so they're, they're like, I'm benefiting right. so much from these lofty valuations that the stock market is bidding up and, and gifting me. I'm not going to say no to that. I'm not going to say no to stock options right. and bonuses every year, right. probably for the last 10 years. Right. They're not going to say like, oh, don't give me that. Don't like this comp, this company I'm running is not <laughs> worth anything. They're going to say, you know, I'll keep doing right. as long as I'm getting paid, as long as I'm getting these massive, right. uh, bonuses, I'm going to keep doing. And then when it starts, when the tide starts turning, it's very easy to say, okay, I'll forego the next bonus to get out now to liquidate whatever I can. Right. So I think that a massive uptick in CEOs, uh, could possibly be an indication that um, any kind of realization of that true no, true uh, value true valuations of those true valuations of mm -hmm. their companies, they could just be like, "Yeah, I'm not going to stick around to I'm not going to stick around to see that. I got the upside. Why would I stick around? You know, kind of thing." Right. Yeah. No. I mean, that makes sense. And it's like, you know, if you're the head of a company. You know, you ha you probably have the best idea of anyone, like what the true value of a share of mm -hmm. your company is worth. And so if, if you're all selling, it's really not a good yeah. indicator. We didn't even talk about coronavirus. We only mentioned it. A lot of a lot of what I hear people tell me is or what I read is it's no worse than the flu. It's no worse than like the uh, right. The the. The at your you know run the mill flu that people get every year kills tens of thousands per year. So how can this, which has only killed mm -hmm. two thousand so far, three thousand maybe, uh, actually probably more than three thousand. How can this be worse than the flu, which is racked up way more than that in body count? Yeah, uh, I would say that's a very bad take, <laughs> <laughs> and there, and there's good reason for that, and so. You can't look at the flu like car accidents, right? You can't compare one year's numbers to another year's numbers and just be like, oh, it's only like 20% more. What's the big deal? Like, that would be true for car accidents. If Even if car accidents were double a year, that would be pretty alarming. But again... This is like not a big deal in terms of uh, differences. And the reason for this is because that follows what's called a normal distribution, right? And in normal distributions, you know, the further you get away from the mean, the numbers don't grow exponentially. They grow linearly, okay? But, but viruses are not normal distributions, okay? A lot of the cases are going to have, you know, flu-like numbers, seasonal flu-like numbers, and then a very small number of them are going to have astronomically high numbers, okay? Because viruses are not linear. They don't grow linearly. They grow exponentially. And so very rarely you're going to have hundreds of millions of cases, okay, and things like that. And so we don't know if this is one of them. But my point is you essentially have to prepare for the worst case scenario, right? 
And the worst case scenario for viruses is not double the seasonal flu. It's a hundred times the seasonal flu, a thousand times the seasonal flu. This is because these are not normal probability distributions. That's, that's the key difference. So the people who go, oh, like, you know, it's only slightly more than the seasonal flu. What's the big deal? They're thinking in normal distribution terms. They're thinking in linear terms. This is a nonlinear problem. They have to get out of that mindset. And so that to me is a very bad take. I don't think this is a reason to panic, but it's you have to you have to consider the the probabilities. And there's there's a non-zero probability or not not just non-zero but you know, a decent probability that this could shut down a lot of major economies to mm-hmm. a large degree. And so like that's big ramifications. That's big you know, cost consequences. So I think I get to, I actually think I get what you're saying. Well, I, I think I know what you're saying. But let me just see if I can rephrase it and tell me if this is like mm-hmm. accurate, if you think. So yeah. if, if there was like, um, if there was one year that people were driving and there was 100,000 killed in car accidents, and the next year there was two hundred thousand killing car accidents, and the next year was fifty thousand. Next year was two hundred fifty thousand. Right? right, so it's like kind of maintaining around. Or actually, that's about it. That's, let me start over. So one year it's a hundred thousand. Next year it's one hundred one thousand. <laughs> next year it's ninety nine thousand. Next year it's a hundred thousand. Right, and then one year it's a hundred, and then one year it's like two hundred thousand. But then next year it's like a hundred thousand. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like that's. That year with 200,000 deaths of car accidents, it's like that was really bad, but it wasn't because, uh, like, that's just like in a normal distribution, sometimes it's it deviates from the mean, but those right. times are, 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 are few and far between. Like, most of the time it stays right. close to the, the center of the normal distribution, and sometimes you'll get right. times outside. Well, if people are driving cars and you're sticking around a, a normal distribution, and then one year someone invents a personal uh a personal jetpack, right? And the first year there's three hundred thousand deaths. Mm. You can't say that how would that how would that compare? You, you, I mean I think that's, that's not, not a good idea. analogy either though, because again, I think that's still a normal distribution. It's just it's, different. You, like, you have to change the dynamics of the problem is like Essentially, uh, like the probability of car accidents, or or, let's phrase it another way, right? So like that $200,000 or that 200,000 death accident Mm -hmm. that year, okay? Let's say that was two, you know, two or three standard deviations from, let's call it three standard deviations from the mean. That's a low probability event, but it's still not that bad right it's only like double okay the point is for that same level of probability three standard deviations away but now with viruses a long-tailed distribution a non-normal distribution that same probability is going to yield a hundred million deaths instead of like you know what i'm saying so like you know you can't look at it like it's a normal distribution because it's not. So it's like when you look at the outliers of a normal distribution, they're still pretty close in value mm-hmm. to the mean. Outliers in a long tail distribution are tremendously far from the mean. They're much okay, different from the mean. Yeah, because a normal distribution, like 68% of all mm-hmm. data's all data will return within uh, one standard deviation either way. And exactly. like ninety five percent will return within two standard deviations either way. Ninety nine. I, I, I right. think I have those numbers close. But you're right. saying epidemiology or epistemia epistemiology or whatever it's called. I think it's epidemiology. It's very nature, just the nature of spreading something from human to human. It's a it's a right. different characterization of the distribution. It's not a normal distribution. Right. Because like, right. Because like car accidents, what would cause 
car accidents to go up more one year than another. It's it's like it's linear differences. There's no feedback feedback loops there, right? Like more car accidents don't drive don't make more car accidents, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. There's no there's nothing in there inherently that's gonna like like radically drive those numbers up one way or the other, and that's why you get a normal distribution. Mm-hmm. But with viruses, the more people that get it. Mm, the even more okay. people that get it and so it's like there's a feedback loop and so that's why you don't get normal distributions you get other types okay. of distributions yeah. in these cases i was like, off with the yeah. with a different scenario with the different scenarios for transportation i think a better a, a right, better analogy would be like if you had a social network that you're trying to trying to make popular um you could mm-hmm. you know maybe there was a hundred social networks in 2000 that tried okay, to like yeah, that tried to 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 launch, and mm-hmm. a, a couple of them did well. They had you know two thousand to fifty thousand users, and most of them didn't do very well. They had ten to a hundred users or whatever. But uh, the two or three mm-hmm. that actually launched Twitter, the Facebook, they launched not because uh, they were better per se, but every marginal user. Mm-hmm that was added to their platform made it more valuable as a platform. So every marginal user exactly. um, to Facebook made someone who's thinking about getting a Facebook say, oh, well, 95% of my friends are on Facebook as opposed to only 10 or 5 or 3% on any other platform. So it's actually like that network effect creates outliers in the social social exactly. network uh choosing to like which one choosing which one succeeds which is just like the virus right exactly that's a that's a great analogy it's like there's a very few number of um social networks with a lot of users so like the the probability of your social network you know having a lot of users is low but then you know every once in a while one's gonna make it and have a ton of users and so you can't compare like if you if and you'd be just as stupid right if you were an early investor or you had the opportunity to be an early investor in instagram for example and you go "Ah, it only has twice as many users as like Mm. i don't know something no one uses but you know like it's you know it's only got a few thousand more users if you're thinking in those terms you're thinking in the Mm -hmm. wrong terms you have to be thinking at it about the problem differently. That's not a correct way of looking yeah. at the problem. Like you'd, I don't know the correct way to analysis, but it's but that line of thinking will lead you astray. I know that much for a fact. I don't know how yeah. you should look at them. If I did, I'd be rich. <laughs> but like, well, I think <laughs> my point I is think that the way to look at it is how is like the growth rate. Is it, is it growing? How long is it growing exponentially? And how many? Uh, maybe I don't know if that would even work on, mm-hmm. in itself. But it could. Um, but the point is, like, you know, if you were trying to compare Instagram to others by the numbers at the time, it yeah. would like it would be like trying to compare coronavirus to the other flus. It's the same type of thing. So it's like, you know, yes, most of the time you'll be right. But when you're wrong, you're really wrong. Which goes back to this. <laughs> you're not just kind of wrong. You're really wrong. Already, we so already that's talked the about point. that on this podcast of how, of, in a different, completely different framework of uh, those institutions that aren't accounting for the unlikely dra- drastic right. outcome. Um, right. That's another example of a non-normal distribution. They've basically exposed their portfolio to tail right. risk. Yeah, so people that compare um, a cur- c- different viral outbreaks to existing viral outbreaks are doing more assuming. <laughs> Where am I going? <laughs> Just are doing more acting like institutional investors. They're not... <laughs> They're not fully accounting for tail risk. Tail risk is the word. That we're, it's, yeah. That's, that's the, the that's common the, theme. The, tail risk. That's the common term. Tail risk, yeah. 
of the day. To do less. Yeah, it shows it shows up in a lot of places because most things we encounter in life are normal distributions, mm-hmm. and so we think yeah. in those terms very often. Like I, we don't necessarily think about normal distributions, but it's it, it is essentially the mental model we're using when we think about a lot of things. Right. It is. Yeah, I'd like to think of a good example of that. It's probably, well. Let's try this example, right? Like when you're shopping around for an apartment, Mm. okay? You don't, you know, most of the places you look at are going to be around the same price. You know, it's not like if you spend enough time, eventually you'll find one that's like $0 a month in that area. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's not... It, it like it's not in your interest to wait a long time for like that outlier price because they don't oh, exist. I got you. They're just too low that's probability. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's pretty good. Yeah. So if you find one that's like good enough and in any kind of significantly right. below mean, you actually you take that one. Right. Yeah. Just take it. Right. Exactly. That's, but if they had a fat, if they had a long tail, it actually would be worth looking. it to wait yeah. for that. Right. Time, but they don't happen. They're no, they don't exist. Right. So you, you taking an apartment and you ex- executing on a contract to live in an apartment, you're probably operating under a normal distribution mentality of apartments. Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, we'll see you next time. Keep doing less. Thanks for listening. Now go do something productive. No, don't do that. Do less. <laughs> do less. <laughs> <laughs>